Hello, and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and in this episode, I'm talking with Christy Harrison, registered dietitian nutritionist, certified intuitive eating counselor, and author of the book, Anti-Diet. She's also the host of the Food Psych podcast. Her one real good thing is to approach food as self-care, not self-control. It's a shift in mentality that will help us move away from diet culture and toward true well-being. Christy, thank you so much for being here. I just, I admire your work so much. And as someone who has very long professionally and personally saw diet as a four-letter word, I just think your book, Anti-Diet, is so critically important. Um, The way it reveals how diet culture entraps us, how it harms us, how pervasive it is. And it's especially important to touch on this now because many people were coming out of the holidays and they feel like they have to repent from this holiday eating, which you don't, by the way. So let's just throw that out there right away. But so you... Your one real good thing obviously touches on this in such an important way, and that is approach food as self-care, not self-control. And I really want to repeat that because it merits saying twice or even more times, approach food as self-care, not self-control. So that change is so important and it sounds maybe simple, but also very layered. So like, let's dig into that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and thank you so much for having me. So really what I mean by self-care, not self-control, kind of at the sort of top level is that, you know, with diets, right, we're conditioned to approach food from this place of self-control. We're conditioned to approach food as this bad thing that we need to control ourselves around and follow the rules and be strict about and not let ourselves have certain things or quote unquote too much of certain things lest we, you know, be morally bad and in bad health and all of the all of the scary things that diet culture sort of holds over us. And of course, each diet, you know, has different things that are supposedly bad or that we should be avoiding. It has different rules and regulations depending on what you're following. And I think, too, a lot of people who've been on different diets over the years, myself included back in the day, you know, it was like you start a new diet, but you never really get rid of the old diet. You never really let go of all the rules you've internalized from that. So it's just this sort of building up of rules and layering on of more and more guilt. And so that's really sort of what I mean by self-control is this sense of like, if I don't control myself around these particular foods or if I don't eat in this particular way that is sanctioned by whoever it is, right, nutritionist, diet guru, Instagram influencer, whoever it is you're following in the moment, then I'll be off the rails, I'll be out of control, I'll be bad, I'll be in poor health, you know, my health is going to deteriorate, I'm going to eat myself into an early grave. I remember like that phrase in particular was something that really used to like motivate me or resonate me. Like I can't, I can't let go of these restrictions because if I do, I'm just going to end up killing myself with food, right? It's feels very dire. And, you know, what I learned in my own recovery from that, from that disordered eating and in subsequently starting to work with people as a dietitian to heal from disordered eating themselves and to learn intuitive eating 
is that really, you know, a peaceful relationship with food, a balanced relationship with food. A, I don't like to use the word healthy, really, but a relationship with food that promotes health or promotes well-being is one that is based on self-care rather than self-control. So instead of, you know, sort of muscling yourself into submission and feeling like you have to constantly wrestle with your desires and tame those desires and sort of not eat what you're really wanting, but, you know, some lesser version of it so that you can be safe and be morally correct and be in good health. Instead of all that, with intuitive eating, what we're really trying to do is approach eating from a place of self-care, which means you know, we're relaxed, we're at ease with food, we have full unconditional permission to eat whatever we want. And we can balance that with some knowledge of gentle nutrition, which is not, you know, the sort of nutritional minutia that I think a lot of influencers and diet gurus peddle. But really, it's this uh, very low key, relaxed, peaceful relationship with nutrition that thinks about, you know, how how am I going to help myself feel energized and nourished and sustained, get some balance in my life, but not feel sort of obsessed with it. And so approaching food from a place of self-care rather than self-control really is about thinking of all those things, thinking about, you know, your sense of pleasure and satisfaction, your nutritional needs, and just what would help you feel satisfied and full and at peace, right? Rather than you know, what is allowed or not allowed, what the diet is telling you to do or, um, or feeling any sort of guilt or shame about food. So it's really reclaiming a kind of trust of our internal regulation systems. I know I've been through this personally as well, because I had a lot of, I was infused with diet culture as a young teen, as I started studying nutrition. And as I started reading more from some of the people who influenced you as well, I know you talk about the book Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch and how influential that was to you. It was also for me and helped me heal personally, um, which also helped frame my professional point of view. And so much of it is trusting this sense of, of what your body needs. And then if you nurture that, then you can really get to this point of peace. And it's remarkable to me how we're all, when we're babies, we kind of always know how much we need and when we need to stop eating. It's just, it's not loaded with all kinds of cultural messaging. It starts to get culturally influenced more like when we're around five years old. But if we can kind of get back to that place of trust that and understanding that our body kind of knows. And I think coming into this time of year, people do feel afraid that they're out of control. Maybe they've felt out of control for the past several weeks on some level. And now they feel like, okay, I have to rope that in now. And I think that sense of, okay, what does my body need right now? Maybe your body, body does need to eat a little bit less rich food. Maybe that will feel actually good to eat a crisp, fresh salad, or maybe it wants another cookie and that's fine too. But I think that sense of honoring what your body needs is really at the core of that self-care. I think you might agree with that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's especially the case now too, right? Like you said, after the holidays, when this January diet culture pressure is at its peak, you know, and people are being told they need to reset and reboot and cleanse and detox and all of these things that are sort of couched in this like moral language of atonement, right? And that you should feel guilty for how you ate or feel like you've been out of control and now you need to rein yourself in. You know, I think this time is especially fraught for people. And yeah, to get back to just 
you know, to try to tune out all that noise the best you can and allow yourself to tune into what does my body need? What does my body want? What would bring me pleasure and satisfaction? And also to realize like these seasons, I think, happen naturally in our lives. You know, we're not going to necessarily be going to holiday parties all the time and having access to the same rich, delicious foods that we would, you know, a couple weeks ago because it's a new season. It's a new year. People are sort of coming back from party time and now buckling down more at work and kind of getting into the into the swing of things with that. So there's just not going to be as much of that kind of food around. And so naturally, I think we start to eat foods that are a little more every day, right? And there can be a sadness to that. There can be a, a feeling of mourning, of letting go of the holiday season. And, oh, but I wish I could just keep this going for a little longer. And these cookies, you know, might represent that pleasure and that sort of joy and connection that I, that we felt over the holiday season. And, you know, you can still eat them and enjoy them, and but you don't have to beat yourself up or shame yourself for that, you know, that there's there's a real reason for that desire for emotional connection and pleasure. And you can also balance it with recognizing what would feel good in your body, too. Yeah, I think that's a big point that I see in your writing about this self-care, not self-control. You talk about food choices for men and one of the cornerstones of doing that. What does that look like when you're actually doing it? Because it sounds very conceptual and it is really a mental shift. And sometimes those mental shifts are the most important small changes that we can make for our own well-being. But one of the ways to accomplish that is to make food choices for both mental and physical health is like your first bullet point on that. So I think you're really touching on that that yes, maybe physically we need to eat maybe less rich foods and so on, but also recognize at this juncture, but also recognizing there's an emotional aspect to this and and being self-compassionate, not beating yourself up for feeling maybe a sense of like, oh, moving on from this time of celebration and gatherings and now sinking into more of the deep winter. And what does that mean? Also, I think what's really interesting and what's maybe difficult about making this change in mentality is that dysfunction can be comforting (laughs) if you're familiar with it. So if your normal every day, every year pattern is to binge during the holidays and diet in January, I mean, that's what we're set up for media wise, right? That's what we're encouraged to do wherever you turn. So that can be almost, okay, I I did this in December. Now January comes. Now it's time to buckle down and be strict. And so if you're accustomed to that, that can be very comforting. So all of a sudden to say, wow, I'm going to approach this from self-care. I think what's cool about that is to say, I'm going to let go of this maybe pattern that doesn't serve me, but that feels comfortable. By approaching it with self-care, you kind of have a way of comforting yourself in another way that's more productive and, and better for you. Yeah. That I really like that, you know, shifting the mindset of comforting yourself because it is like, it's scary. And I feel like it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to go from a holiday season of feeling like they've just let go and enjoyed and had pleasure in food. But there was this nagging guilt in the back of their mind, like, Oh, you're going to have to atone for this come January. And then to not do that, you know, to suddenly, all disrupt or alter the pattern. And it's like, oop, okay, so now what, right? And especially with everything our culture has told us about body size and weight and food and, you know, the moralizing and guilt and shame about certain kinds of foods, I think it can be really 
fraught and sort of like has a lot of meaning to people, right? It's it's not just about the food. It's about what we have been told the food means, like what we've been told it means about us if we eat this way and don't restrict on the flip side. Or what if we gain some weight and we don't try to lose it? Like, what does that mean about us? Right? So there's a lot of deep stuff that comes up. And I think being able to comfort yourself through that, offer yourself compassion and coping skills for those feelings is essential. And so self-compassion really comes into my concept of self-care too, right? It's like self-care, not self-control involves having that compassion for yourself and reassuring yourself again and again, like it's okay not to participate in that sort of cultural atonement that we're all expected to do around this time of year. It's okay. I'm not bad. There's nothing wrong with me. And a lot of people feel this way. This is part of our common humanity to have this experience. I'm not alone in struggling with these thoughts and feelings of guilt and shame. And that there are, you know, nurturing practices I can offer to myself to feel better and to sort of help myself through this. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's this part of the sense of self-care without restriction and without the sense of self-control is actually caring for your body. Like, how do you care for yourself? And I think it's almost like in a way parenting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you care for your body? The goal is actually to care for your body by meeting its needs for food. So making sure you feed yourself and then deciding how am I going to feed myself to actually nourish myself, to nourish myself emotionally, to nourish myself physically. And, you know, maybe that means doing some planning around that without being strict. I think you see, I really love the word that you use gentle nutrition, because I think sometimes when people look at intuitive eating, they think they're just going to eat cookies all day long and all night, and then just like be completely, you know, lose their bone mass or (laughs) have diabetes and have, you know, none of us want that part of self-care is making sure that you're healthful and you can do the things you want to do in life and you're supporting your physical strength and immunity and all that stuff. So you use the word gentle nutrition. So can you give us some more insight into how you would practice gentle nutrition? Yeah. You know, I think your metaphor of parenting is really useful here, right? And thinking about gentle nutrition as how you might feed a child and diet culture is unfortunately really caught up in child feeding at this point in time too. But if you think about sort of like those early stages where there's not as much diet culture and guilt and shame kind of weighing on that feeding relationship and the child is exploring and enjoying different, you know, flavors and textures and types of food, really the approach that I practice with child feeding and that I will practice soon when I have my my own baby in like a month or so is this approach that's really compatible with intuitive eating called the division of responsibility in feeding and eating by Ellen Satter which is that the parent is responsible for what and when, you know, what gets served and when it's served and the child is responsible for whether and how much to eat at each of those occasions. And so the parent's responsibility is 
to be really sort of consistent and provide a structure that's flexible, but where food is always going to show up, where the kid knows food is always going to be available. There's regular meals and snacks throughout the day. You're not going these long stretches without food. You're not getting to meltdown territory where the, the child is just over hungry and really upset because of it, right? You're intervening sooner than that so that food comes in and nourishes the child when they need it rather than sort of getting to that extreme level of hunger. And so when you're thinking about what and when to serve food, you're thinking about how to serve enough to be really satisfying, how to make a complete meal or snack, right? Something that's going to sustain them. So you're probably going to want carbohydrate, protein, fat, vegetable or fruit, like a sauce of some kind, something to be tasty and delicious, right? The pleasure centers need to be considered as well. And so thinking about planning your meals and snacks that way for yourself to give yourself that sense of balance and completeness, also pleasure and satisfaction, at each meal and snack and to make sure that you're not going too long without eating so that you're really reassuring yourself, yes, there will be enough. Food is always going to be available again. Because um, I think one thing that happens when people are recovering from diet culture is that, you know, we're really, really deprived at first. And so the sense that food isn't going to be available or that we have to wait until we get to an extreme level of hunger we have to get to, you know, wait until we get to this extreme level of hunger in order to eat actually makes us so deprived that we end up potentially setting ourselves up to binge or to eat to a level of discomfort or to eat a lot of foods that we deemed bad in our mind once we have access to them. Like, oh, I'm just going to have a couple cookies and then suddenly the box is gone, right? That's a really common phenomenon for people who are first recovering from diet culture. And so if we can re reassure ourselves, like, Yes, the cookies will be available again. Yes, food's going to be available again in a few hours. You don't have to wait hours and hours at a stretch. You don't have to go from lunch to dinner without a snack or you don't have to do this, What you know, all the stuff that diet culture tells us we're supposed to do, right? It's demonizes snacking or eating at certain times of day or whatever it is, right? Trying to clear all that out so that we're really reassuring our bodies and our brains like, yes, food will be available regularly and consistently again and again throughout the day. And I don't have to panic when it's not right because, you know, that sense of panic can set us up for all kinds of disordered eating and dysregulation. Yeah. To your point, it's actually deprivation and restriction that is the main cause of binging. So it's this feeling of out of control comes from the feeling of control. So again, more reason to approach food as self-care, not self-control. And what's so interesting about that from my perspective also is when you're when you know I could have anything I want right now, sometimes I choose, you know what, I want to go into dinner with a really good appetite. I love the feeling of like having a really good appetite when I'm sitting down to a meal because it makes everything taste better. And so not hungry to the point I'm going to pass out or anything or not trying to be hungry, but just saying, you know what, I really, I'm going to wait because I don't want to, it's the sense of spoiling your dinner, I guess, in a way that's like sort of old fashioned, but in some ways it works both ways that all of a sudden you have the freedom to have anything you want. And you also feel the freedom and ease around saying, you know, I'm going to wait to dinner because that's going to be really delicious. And I want to really be fully present for that deliciousness. 
So I think that part of it's really interesting. And coming back, I don't want to get too off charts on talking about feeding children, but I think that's one really important way that I've found with dinner time is that to not over snack children to the point where they get to the dinner table and they are not even hungry. I think that's one of the traps we fall into. So hunger, this whole sense of satiety and hunger is something that's key to intuitive eating. And it's really about tapping into that and honoring both hunger and honoring both fullness. And the more you can familiarize yourself with where that is for you, I think the healthier mentally and physically you can be. And it's so interesting, right? That like the way that it might look to the outside could be similar in some cases to dieting, right? Like it's it's all in the mindset of how you approach it. So if you're approaching something where you say, you know, I'm going to have like a smaller snack or an earlier snack or something like that so that I'm nice and hungry for dinner. Well, that is also, you know, diet culture might also tell you like, don't eat after X time or eat a small snack so that you don't overeat, right? But there's all this different reasoning attached to it. And when you're in a place of self-care and intuitive eating, once you've broken free from that guilt-inducing diet mindset, it's a very different approach. It's much more relaxed. It's much more flexible. It's much more autonomous that you're able to choose for yourself how you want to feel. And you're not doing it based on someone else's rules or rules that you've internalized. You're doing it based on, you know, your own body's needs and internal wisdom. Yes. And, and frankly, they're mostly the other people's rules are rules that are basically mostly manufactured to sell something. <laughs> so let's like put that out there right away. Like you and I both are authors and to sell like a diet book, I've actually worked very hard throughout my career to be able to have some book that is marketable that is not a diet book. And it's not easy. Like most, when you're first an author, when you're first getting your legs in that world, it's a remarkable how difficult it is to avoid writing a diet book. And that is what sells. And it's almost formulaic at this point where what sells is fear, body fear and rules. And they're not necessarily, they may be grounded I don't even, the word grounded is too kind. Mm -hmm. They may be inspired by a shred of evidence and then completely extrapolated to a ridiculous degree into a lifestyle plan that is really not founded in any real scientific merit. And certainly not necessarily about you as a human, you as an individual, you as a person with spirit and needs and all that you come with. So... Yeah, I think that's so important for people to know, too, like at this time of year when, you know, this is when all the diet books come out. Right. And this is when my book Anti-Diet was released two years ago in hardcover. Now it's in paperback. It's like the new year, new you time is sort of like the marketing time for diet culture books and for turns out now anti-diet books, too. But to just sort of recognize that, that this is like a money making venture and sort of the way that publishers have found to market books to people like market books about food and nutrition. And that, yeah, so many of us, if you have any sort of background in nutrition, you want to write a book, there's such a pressure to go into that diet book field and to create something that is just a bunch of rules to make people feel bad and that you don't have to buy that. Like the, if you can sort of see through that, I think, and see the machinery behind it, I think it can help to unhook a little bit from all that messaging. Great. Well, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. I would love to hear, love to hear any final words. 
Yeah, I just think, you know, with self-care, not self-control, I think it's a tough shift, right? It's not going to happen overnight. So it is sort of one small change in the sense that it is a mindset shift that has a big impact, but it's just one thing. But that one thing can take quite a lot of practice and support and time and patience. So I think if you're starting down this road, if you're starting to try to practice self-care, not self-control with food, just know that it might be, you know, a longer process than you hope or than you might think, because we all, I mean, if I've been there too, I wanted it to happen so badly, like right away and was frustrated when it didn't. But it's, you know, if you think of it as a practice of getting to know yourself, getting in touch with your self-compassionate side, sort of shifting out of this cultural conditioning that we've all been living in for decades, probably most of us at this point. It's a long road. And so give yourself compassion for that too, right? Give yourself grace and patience to make that shift and know that it really is possible. I think we're both testaments to that, as are many people that we've worked with and we know. So it is very much possible to live in this way where you're relating to food from a much more self-caring place. And it can take time and it can feel very foreign and very frustrating at first. So being self-compassionate about it, I couldn't agree more. And actually, just to kind of sum that up, it's really a journey, not a destination. And I think both of us and anyone who's doing this is practicing it on a daily basis. And the word practice is great because you're never going to be perfect at it because you don't have to be. And that's not what it's about. So it's about just practicing and reminding yourself. I'm going to say it one more time. Approach food as self-care, not self-control. And so with that, thank you, Christy Harrison, for being with us and for sharing your insights and your wisdom and all the best with your upcoming newborn. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired to leave behind the diet mentality and start to practice self-care and gentle nutrition. Go to elliekrieger.com to learn more about Christy Harrison and join me next time for another one real good thing.